Thank you for tuning into the Walk in Truth Radio Network broadcast. Grab your Bible, get settled, and let's walk through the Word of God together. Let us now reason together and listen to see what God is saying to us today. Keep us and guide us and open our minds to your word. We bless you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So last week we were, um, we did the introduction of uh, Jeremiah and we talked about um, uh, Jeremiah and who he was. There's some extra handouts over there, Steve, if they want to. Um, and uh, kind of went through what we were going to learn about Jeremiah. And we stopped um, at chapter 2 and we talked about, um, what did we talk about? The concept of love. And we talked about who should be your first love. And um, everybody, we had a big discussion about God is supposed to be your first love. But understanding that is human to, if you're not in Christ, to to think your first love might be your wife or your child or your mother or your father. It just depends. Um, and so I wanted to talk about that in the second chapter of Jeremiah, um, the um, analogy about husband and bride is used here. And marriage is heavily used in the Bible to explain relationships between God and his people. Um, anybody, um, any examples that anybody have that, um, where God talks about him, um, um, a husband and, and bride analogy? Anybody? Anywhere in the Bible? A husband and bride analogy? You mean where Christ is the bride? I mean, no, just well, said husband and wife. Right, but it, it could be you, Stacy. You're right. It could. What, so who, if if Christ is what? Say that again. What you were saying, Stacy? We are the bride of Christ. Correct. And so it's the same things. The husband and wife, husband and bride analogy. Any other analogies that we talk about? We that that's used in the Bible. When he told the prophet that he was going to marry uh, Hosea. Hosea. Gomer. Hosea Gomer. Okay. And we talk about, we, we say a lot that the bridegroom is coming, right? Mm -hmm. So the analogy of a God, um, God in the Bible uses, especially in the New Testament, talks about a bridegroom and how um, men, how, do, how are you supposed to treat your wives? That's Ephesians. Right? What do you, how are you supposed to treat your wife? Those who love your wife as Christ love the church, in which he sanctified her and set her apart. Right, so it's a lot of analogies that goes there. All right, so Steve, let's start with Jeremiah 2, verse 1. All right, Jeremiah 2. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your bet betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown, 
Israel was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and became idolaters? Neither did they say, Where is the Lord, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and of shadow and of the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed, and where no one dwelt. I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruits and its goodness, but when you entered, you defiled my land, and you made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Okay, so God is talking through Jeremiah, and um, we see Baal a lot. Um, and it means the Lord or Master in Canadian tongue. It's the person's personal name is uh, Hadad. And it's cruel and ruthlessness. It's the male object of the Canaanite and physician worship. But I have a question. Um, uh, why was the Israelites, why do they constantly change gods? Um, and I mean, why do they want to worship other gods? Anybody have any comments on that? They were 400 some years in, the, in Egypt, so they had gotten used to, even though they see the glory of God after they got come out of Egypt, but they still had that understanding of worshiping other gods. So let me ask you this question. So you get married, right? And so uh, we're going to continue to use this husband and bride thing. You get married and you've done whatever you did before, but when you get married, you make a commitment, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, you make a commitment and you're supposed to be bound to your husband and, and the wife and the man and the man's supposed to be bound to his wife, correct? So you're supposed to be consistent. So you might see other things and other people, but you're supposed to consistently be with the person that you made the commitment to, right? God made a commitment to the people of Israel. However, we can see in First Kings, we can see um, in um, Samuel, we can see in Second Kings, we can see in all those books that we have already discussed that he can, he can continually say, hey, what is the problem? Why are you cheating on me? Why are you um, constantly changing and, um, and worshiping other gods, right? So when, when somebody breaks a commitment to you, you can feel a couple of things, right? Reject it. Why would you reject this person? Now, mind you, we read this already um, because you know when, whenever a prophet speaks, he talks about the history of what he did. In verse 6, what did it say, Steve? Where is the Lord who brought you up, us up from the land of Egypt, through the wilderness, through the deserts and pits? So whenever God is talking, he doesn't, he reminds you of all the things that he's done for you, right? 
and wondering, and I brought you somewhere where drought, I brought you fruit, I brought you food, I done everything for you, but you continue to continue to um, reject me for worthless idols. Like a, a groom, like Hosea and Gomer. Hosea did all the same as God did for Ezra. Mm -hmm. And Gomer still turned the other way. Through her experiences, maybe, through her understanding, maybe she didn't understand what marriage was. Remember, God is the author of marriage. All other pagan nations might not have that understanding of marriage. Correct, but the, but we do not eliminate that the Israelites understood the concept of marriage and also understood that God made a promise to them and had provided for them from years and years and years and years and years beyond, right? So they might have an excuse, but is the excuse valid? Because they knew what God could do, right? And if anything, during this time, right, Jeremiah is during the time where the north had already what? Collapsed. Yeah. So they already could see they had an example of what rejecting God and embracing worthless um, um, idols could happen, right? Yeah. Um, okay. Um, I want to make sure I want to make. We also talk about. But couldn't they have put God in a, in a category like the um, Pharaohs did in Egypt? That he was many, one of many gods instead of being the God. I, I can't speculate where they put God, but they knew from their um, teachings that God was supposed to be first and that God had brought them out of Egypt, had brought them into this land, had gave them a king, had kept them in this fortress of uh, Judah, Judah, as we're talking to Judah right now, kept them in this fortress, kept them protected. They seen their sisters in the north. Um, basically be deported and desolated. They knew what God was doing, right? Mm -hmm. All right, so let's go to, yeah, let's go to verse nine. Verse nine? Uh-huh. Therefore, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children, I will bring charges. For pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and see, send to Kedar and consider diligently, and see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold that can hold no water. Okay, we talk about we always talk about this fountain of living water. Water. Let's go to Isaiah twelve and three. Stacy, read that for me, please. I'm sorry, you said Isaiah 12 and 3. Uh-huh. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. 
and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Isaiah 55 and 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Let's go to John. Four, ten through fourteen. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no you have nothing to draw with, to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the will and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And let's go to um, John 7, 37-39. On that, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And as you can see that in the other scriptures, they talk about this same fountain of living water. And Jeremiah is telling them, you reject, you're rejecting what God is giving you for something that is fruitless, who, can't, who cannot do the same thing, right? And he says, and let's think about it. He says, um, they, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out systems for themselves broken. They can't hold the water I'm giving because they want to put something else inside them. Right? All right, go to verse 14 in Jeremiah 2. 14. Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he plundered? The young lions roared at him and growled. They made his land waste. His cities are burned and without inhabitant. Also, the people of No Nope and Tephanes have broken the crown of your head. Have you not brought this on yourself? Is that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you in the way? And now why take the road to Egypt? 
to drink the waters of Sipor? Or why take the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the river? Your own wickedness will correct you, and your backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore, and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God. And the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord of hosts. So Jeremiah is telling them, he's basically saying, hey, you guys are not heeding what I'm, you have to heed what I'm saying. If not, they're going to be replications, right? Mm -hmm. Now, there are some translation issues here when it talks about the young lions. Um, and I'm getting this referenced from um, um, Chuck Messler's hand, handout in his, in, his, in his instruction. And it says, some scholars argue as to which is referring to the children of Memphis and Tiffany's are two Egyptian cities. Memphis is a classic ancient capital of the lower Egypt. And Tiffany's is what, what the Greeks called Daphne, which was the at the north and east border. So here you see that there is uh, an issue. Um, you can take specific for the general or general for specific. Sometimes when they use um, uh, geography, um, they can use the city meaning of the land. Memphis and Tiffany in another way of saying all of Egypt. So don't get stuck at locations. This, uh, uh, this could have referenced some of the incidents that occurred in 1 Kings uh, 14, 25 through 28. So let's go to 1 Kings and see what they're talking about in this note. And we're going to go to uh, chapter 14, verses 25 through 28. Miss Alicia, can you read that, please? 14. Yeah, verses 25 through 28. And it came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shekhar, did I say that wrong? Shisha. Shisha. King of Egypt came against Jerusalem, and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king's house, and he even took away all, and he took away all, away all the shields of gold which Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam Rehoboam made in their stead bronze shields, and committed them unto the hands of the officers of the guard, who kept the door of the king's house. And it was so when the king went into the house of the Lord that the guard bore them and brought them back into the guard chamber. And so that some some references, some commentaries say that that's what Jeremiah was talking about. But Mesler says that he he believes that Jeremiah is really making allusions to the suffering that was endured when King um, Jeradiah, um, um, Josiah was killed by the Pharaoh uh, Necho of Egypt. And that's in 2 Kings 23 and 29. Now, we know that Josiah was one of the good kings. Um, and he was popular. Um, and he uh, he was advised to stay out of the Egyptian fight, remember? Mm -hmm. But he didn't listen and end up going into the fight and dying. Mm -hmm. And so this is what Jeremiah could have been making an allusion to. And we talked about that when we were in... Um, Kings about how um, Josiah was told not to go and he went anyway. And so um, 
Jeremiah in his in his in his chapter is telling them, you guys are going back to Egypt. That's one thing we talked about before. Don't go back to Egypt. <laughs> Don't mess with them. And um, he's asking them, were they born a slave? Are they a servant to these people? Are they going to allow um, uh, worshiping these idols and following everybody else to ruin what they have? And so there he's talking about um, how Egypt is putting, um, has shaved the crown of your head. And you know that anytime they talk about shaving an Israelite's hair, that is a shame against them. Remember, we talked about this a lot in mm -hmm. other chapters. So that's just like a woman's hair is their crown. Their hair was their, you know, that was a signal of defiling the men. If you if you shave their beard or their head, that was defiling them. And he said, you brought this on yourself. You rather drink the waters from the Nile. And then he says, oh, what are you going to gain from Assyrian? We know Assyria messed up the north, right? And so you want to drink from Euphrates. He says, I'm telling you to stop. But of course we know. <laughs> that you can tell a you can tell a child to stop, but they have to make their choice. And one thing we cannot say about God in the Old Testament that He did not send prophets and people to warn them, and they all they had to do was take heed. Because we also talked about last week how Jeremiah wasn't the only one during this time yeah. telling them about this. Right. Okay. Let's go to uh, Jeremiah 2 and 20. 2 and 20. For of old I have broken your, your yoke and burst your bonds. And we talked about this in Ezekiel. How the yoke is the, um, it's a, a contraption that they put the bull's head in, right? Mm -hmm. And the bull can't move in unless you guide it in no direction. Can't get it off. Right. So God has broken the yoke of captivity broke the yoke of Egyptian, you know, doing all this stuff. I've taken you out of these strongholds mm -hmm. and I burst you out and you, what do you say? But you said, I'm going to continue. I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill, under every green tree, you bow down like a whore. And so he's saying that you're worshiping um, these other idols, and you know, we talked about the tree with the tree signals, the green tree, and that's why a lot of people say we shouldn't have Christmas trees because they sacrifice kids and people under these trees that was part of their service. And so, you're bowing down to these idols like a whore, so now you're cheating on me. Right. See the analogy throughout this chapter, right? Mm -hmm. And um, go ahead and go to verse 21. Yet I had planted you a noble vine, a seed of the highest quality. How then have you turned before me into degenerate plant of an alien vine? Hmm. For though you wash yourselves with lye and use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. How can you say I am not polluted? Have you not gone after the bales? See your way in the valley. Know what you have done. You are a swift demodery breaking loose in her ways. A wild donkey used to the wilderness. And let me go. In some, um, in some versions it says, A restless young camel running here and there. 
a wild donkey used to, to the wilderness in her heat sniffing the wind. See how uh, descriptive he is about how, how you, the bride is adulterous. And Israel was the bride. Who can restrain her lust? No one seeks uh, seek her and need to weary themselves. In her mouth they will find her. Sorry, in her mouth they will find her. Keep your feet from going unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said it is hopeless, for I have loved foreigners, and after them I will go. And as a thief is shamed, so is the house of Israel shall be shamed. They, their kings, their officials, their priests, their prophets, who say to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone, you gave me birth. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they say, arise and save us. Let's not go too quickly past that. He's saying, you don't want to be with me when it's, it's fun, but when I'm in trouble and I'm going through something, now you want me to save you. But you've been whoring around and doing whatever you want to do. What did they say in Judges? They just did what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it and didn't have no, no um, thought about what God said. And they continue to do that all the way to Kings, right? Mm -hmm. All the way to 2 Kings and Israel proper, when I say Israel proper, the north was destroyed because of that. And so Jeremiah is talking to Judah saying, look, you're acting like your sister. And you see what happened to them. And you you basically, you supposed to be my bride, but you turning your back from me, but then you want me to take care of you and save you. It don't work that way. Right? And he says, but that, um, verse 28, but where are your gods that made you made for yourself? Why you come to me for trouble? You got these gods. These gods ain't doing nothing. <laughs> Let them arise if they can save you in your time of trouble. For as many as your cities are your gods, O Judah. Why do you contend with me? You have all transgressed against me, declares the Lord. In vain have I struck your children, and they took no correction. Your own sword devoured your prophets like a raveling lion. So he disciplined them, right? And they still not listening. And you, old generation, behold the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of thick darkness? Why then do my people say we are free when we come no more to you? Can a virgin forget her ornaments? Or a bride her attire. And it's, it's a good question. Say like, so you can't wash me off, right? You can't, we, I'm going to go back to that now. You can't wash your sin off with soap, right? Yeah. And in the Levitical sense, the Jesus, of course, uh, washes our sin. But what we're talking, we're not talking about Christ right now. We're talking about how, you know, they said our sins can be washed like snow, but your sins are scarlet, right? And another analogy, they, oh my God, they talk about how you in heat, right? Mm -hmm. So you just doing who you just, oh, how can I say this? Committed to spiritual adultery. Correct. You just going with whatever feel good. Can a maid forget her ornaments? Can she forget that she's supposed to be pure? Can she forget that when she gets married, she's coming in and she's supposed to be only for her husband, right? How do you become a slave when God made you free? 
Why are you suffering? And think about it. They became slaves. They were not, they born in slave states. They are giving their children away. They're suffering financial adversity. They're selling their kids. They're selling themselves. They're selling their children for, to other people for debts. They are a messed up generation. And going back to Jeremiah um, 32, yet my people have forgotten me days without number. He said, I can't even remember when you came back to me. Right? Um, how well have you um, directed your uh, course to seek love? So he said, you hadn't even turned back to me, right? So that even to the wicked women, you have taught your ways. Also on your skirts is found the lifeblood of guiltiness poor. You did not find them breaking in. Yet, in spite of all these things, you say, I'm innocent. Surely his anger has turned from me. So this is a conversation that the husband is having with the, the bride. And, in, in, you know, theori um, in, in, um, biblically and, you know, spiritually. He says, you say, you innocent. I ain't did anything. So basically, you want God to take this bride that has just been with everybody. Right? He said, behold, I will bring you to judgment for saying, I have not sinned. How much um, you can go about changing your way. You shall be put to shame by Egypt as you were put to shame by Assyria. From it too, you will come away with your hands on your head for the Lord has rejected those in whom you trust and you will not prosper by them. And he's directly saying that these kings that you trust, these, prophets, these um, priests that you trust, you can't trust them because God ain't even in that. Jeremiah is giving this to the people of Judah. He's warning them, right? Yeah. So then yeah. um, we're in so chapter... is this a warning or is, this, is he saying it is going to happen? Oh, this, it's a prophecy, which means it's going to happen. It's, it's going to happen. Yeah. He's giving them an opportunity to take heed. And a prophet is always going to tell the truth and is going to tell you what's going to happen. But you, it's up to you to take heed to say, I don't want to be on this side. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, he can give you, it's not going to be anything positive. It's going to give you the negative. And he's giving them, he's saying, look, you need to get yourself together because God is about to punish you. And so he's giving you what's going to happen in the future. And both of those incidents happen. So he wants to be able to say, hey, watch out, look. Especially at this time, this is the same time when the North is getting captured and all of this stuff. Um, and mind you, when we talked about this last week, remember Jeremiah is not chronological. Yeah. So some some instances in the book is going to kind of not fall into place, but the message is still the same. Everybody is on the same page with me? Mm -hmm. Chapter 3. Now, we're talking about <laughs> um, rules of remarriage. So we need to go to Deuteronomy 24. Twenty-four. One through four. Read that for me, Stacy. Yes. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, 
because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So that is the rule. But there's always exceptions to the rule. Not always, but there's always, there's most times misconceptions. If you go to um, 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, it says, Then David sent messengers to Israel, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife Micah for whom I paid the bridal price of a hundred foreskins of Philistines. And Israel sent and took her from her husband, Patel, the son of Lavish. Now, um, but her husband went with her weeping after her all the way to Barun. So let me explain. We talked about this in 2 Samuel. Remember, Micah decided um, that when, David, when Saul was going after um, David, that she was married to another person. But David had already married her, right? Mm -hmm. And that rule says that according to Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, he had to, um, when once she's divorced or been with somebody else, he couldn't take her back. However, do you see that David divorced her anywhere? I'm asking a question. No. And so somebody, some people come and say, well, this... Um, this is this happened with David, so this is not true. David never divorced his wife. However, he didn't have to take her back either. But it was all for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. And we talked about that in 2 Samuel, all the reason why he would want to keep Saul's line together for the kingdom, right? Um, and go from there. Now, um, you like, okay, why are we reading about Deuteronomy and, and remarrying somebody, right? Well, um, when we read in chapter three, we're going to hear uh, where they start talking about that. And you ask, it's about Judah and what Je and Jeremiah is saying, please come back and reconcile with God. Mm. Um, so he won't divorce you. Now, God ain't say he was, but he's making an analogy. And so because once he gives you these these papers, you can't come back. Now, I'm not saying that the word said that God divorced them. However, he's giving them an analogy that they can understand. And God is giving them a choice to turn back and repent. Right? Mm -hmm. So let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 3. And it's a, you'll understand what I'm trying to say um, more thoroughly. Be nice if my um. There we go. Go ahead, Steve. You want to start from one? Uh huh. They say if a man divorces his wife, and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again? 
what would that land be great or would that land be greatly polluted but you have played the harlot with many lovers yet return to me says the lord lift up your eyes to the desolate heights and see where have you not lain with men by the road you have sat for them like an arabian in the wilderness and you have polluted the land with your harlotries and your wickedness. Therefore, the showers have been withheld, and there has been no latter rain. So God is saying that because you have defiled my land that I gave you, he has withheld water. And now you, what, what was once fruitless and productive is now unproductive and fruitless because of your actions. Let's just sit there for a minute. Your husband gives you everything, provides for you, and you decide to go be ravished everywhere. I love how this uh, this version says it. it says, lift up your eyes to the bare heights and see where you have not been ravished. By the waysides you have set awaiting lovers like an Arab in the wilderness. You have polluted the land with your vile whoredom. Therefore, the showers have been withheld and the spring rain has not come. Yet you have the forehead of a whore and you refuse to be ashamed. So, of course, what comes to my mind, you I don't, I mean, maybe I'm dating myself and, and you know, there's the book called The Scarlet Letter. So basically they got it on their forehead, the adultery sign, and they still not ashamed. They still just doing whatever they want to do and don't care, but it still expect God to produce the rain and give them fruit and let them live. But they want to do, they just basically just out there. Mm -hmm. And God is not saying, I don't want you no more. Come back home. Yes. I made this promise. I made this covenant with your father, right? Mm -hmm. I made this covenant with David and you still doing what you want to do, right? And he says, have you not, have you just now called to me? My father, you are the friend of my youth. Will he be angry forever? Will he be indignant to the end? Behold, you have spoken, but you have not done all the evil that you could. So Jeremiah is saying that even though you've done a lot, you still ain't done as much as Israel did. And he's talking about Judah, right? All right, so um, I want to note that when we get to verse 6, there's time inconsistencies, and you will see. Read that for me, um, Steve. The Lord said also to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the harlot. So he had already fussed about what Judah was doing, but he wanted, he's also talking about how Israel um, and the North are siblings and they're happening and what happened to them. He saw how they, he's saying how you backslide, right? And then go to verse seven. And I said, after she had done all these things, return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. So he's saying, I told your sister all this. You watched what happened to her. Mm -hmm. And you just sitting there seeing it and not taking heed. Right. 
You saw her get that whooping, but you still going to do what she she did. What sense does that make? No sense at all. Correct. Go ahead and read eight. Then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet wow. her treacherous sister Judah did not fear and went back and went and played the harlot also. So he thought, you see, I just told, I just gave them a certificate of divorce and I made sure they ain't got captured and all that other stuff. And you still, <laughs> you still doing what you, they was doing. Go ahead. Now this part, 7 through 15, I believe, uh, uh, is really more of, he said, you see what happened to them. This is, this is what you're doing. They're doing a comparison of the sisters. Go ahead. So it came to pass through her casual uh, harlotry that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. And yet her all her treacherous or her treacherous sister Judah had not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. So they they was a little bit scared when we came to God, but they really wasn't doing it. They were just acting playing the front. Go ahead. Then the Lord said to me, Backsliding Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Mm. That's so, deep. Yeah. What do you think that means? The Judas come just as bad or become just as bad as Israel or if not worse. What what it says is this. The mind says, faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous. At least Israel did they mess and did it. Judah is watching the mess and not repenting. Right, they didn't have an example. Of right, so Israel did it and didn't rip. They thought God was just a game and they got in trouble. So they did that with all their gusto. But it's a different when you watch, you know your sibling just got in trouble for this and you go do it. That makes you worse because you knew the consequences. You sitting there watching them. At least you get to say, you know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pass go. Mm -hmm. I ain't collected two hundred dollars. I'm just gonna stay here on boardwalk and not not boardwalk, whatever it is, Parkway, whatever it is. I'm just gonna sit here and I'm not collecting nothing because I see what happens when you pass go and collect that two hundred dollars. You're going right to jail. I'm making an analogy. Y'all know what I'm saying. Yeah, that does make it worse when you... You see it. Yeah, then you don't repent. And you could have avoided the punishment. Because you see it and you see the consequences. And it was bad consequences. This, yeah. We, 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 um, I mean, let's go to Ezekiel 23 and 11. These consequences wasn't, oh, we, um, we gonna do this together. I mean, you know, these consequences were like, oh, they just got a slap on their hand. They didn't get no slap on their hand. They got, um, they was in some real stuff. You want to know the king got annihilated. Right. Yeah. It, um, Ezekiel 23 and 11 says her sister Obadiah saw this and she became more corrupt than her sister in her lust and in her hoarding, which was worse than that of her sister. So Ezekiel is a contemporary of Jeremiah. And, you know, we talked about this, and he said, <laughs> uh, let me go backwards. It says, therefore, I delivered her into her hands of her lovers, into the hands of the Assyrians, after whom she lusted. He's talking about Israel, the north. Mm -hmm. 
These uncovered her nakedness. They seized her sons and her daughters. And as for her, they killed her with the sword. And she became a byword among women. That's not good being a byword. That's a curse. That's like, you know, we, some words we use for some people. Right. When judgment had been executed on her, and then he says her sister Obadiah uh, saw this. He's talking about Judah. And she became more corrupt than her sister in her lust and in her whoredom. And then you say, Venus, why do they keep saying she became more corrupt? Because when King Josiah died, his son messed it up for a whole line. And that's the reason why we had to get to Mary, Jesus through Mary's line, because that line got in trouble. Let's go to 2 Kings. I love it how we learn something and it goes full circle. I get excited, so I'm sorry. I'm so excited right now. 45. I'm sorry. Second scenes. Oh, look. I know I wrote something wrong. Give me one second. I know it's in chapter 13. So, give me one second. I want to make sure I have this right. So either I'm gonna um I'm gonna fill this up while I look it up. I just love how the word um how the word just comes together because we had learned about all of this stuff and not knowing that we're gonna talk about this again. One second. Well, you know, when we first started the Old Testament in Ezekiel, mm -hmm. we had we, that's what we started. Yeah. When you think about it, now the Bible is smaller because you know the contemporaries. Yeah, you know, and that's and that's the difference when you do line by line and verse by verse, verse and jumping around. You begin to see the parts that go together. Like we can name the prophets that were prophesying to Judah all at the same time, and they were saying the same thing. Then you got the prophets of the northern kingdom. They was warning them, you know. And now that that section becomes smaller. So by the time we get to to Malachi, you know, we can see that God said this is done. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The whole kingdom is done. I'm not, you know, you got 400 years after Malachi where there's nothing being said. Then you got Jesus coming in saying, this temple's going to be destroyed. This just should be a house of worship. And it hasn't been a house of worship for over 500 years. It's, it's just amazing to me how long-suffering God has been with Israel to this day. That's true. That's true. I'm going to come back to that second Kings because there must be a typo in my studies. Because there's no uh, Second Kings 13 and 45. So I will get back to that in a minute. Um, let's go back to Jeremiah. I will find that reference. Because that's going to be a problem in my... Uh... We were at verse... Cool. 12. Read verse 11 again for me. Then the Lord said to me, Backsliding Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, 
Return, backsliding Israel, says the Lord. I will not cause my anger to fall on you. For I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord your God, and have scattered your charms to alien deities under every green tree. And you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. So basically, God saying, I'm not going to do you like I did your sister. All you got to do is repent. Yeah. All you got to do is fix this. I want my wife back. I want my, I want, I want my marriage. I'm using analogies, everybody. Mm -hmm. I want, I want to work on this. And all you got to do is just, just turn, come back to me, return back to me and every, you know, you're going to, you're going to get punished a little bit, but you're going to be okay. Wouldn't it that um been so much easier? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I found the reference. It's let's go to Second Kings seven for your reference. Go to Second Kings seventeen one through forty, and you will see how um what happened to um what happened to um Israel. So Second Kings um seventeen one through forty. You talk, it, it talks about what happened to um, Israel, their sister. Okay? Let me go back to Jeremiah. Okay, go ahead. Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family. And I will bring you up to Zion. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Then it shall come to pass, when you are multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says the Lord, that they will say no more. The ark of the covenant of the Lord, it shall not come to mind, nor shall, it, nor shall they remember it. Nor shall they visit it, nor shall it be made any more. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given as inheritance to your fathers. Okay, so he talks about here, he says, when the Ark of the Covenant, um, he talks about the Ark of the Covenant, and he also says that the two um, nations, um, Israel and Judah, are going to be stronger. So this is a part of his sermon. Um, it's interesting um, when you really look about, they talk about the search of the Ark. And it's one of the problems in Jeremiah that there will be no more ark. And a lot of people didn't like that. Um, according to Messler, the ark of the covenant is gone. And there are some books between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're apocrypha, of course. Um, that means that they're a part of the Hebrew canon that explains some stuff. And so the first and second book of Maccabees, which is still not part of the Hebrew canon, talks about what happened to the ark. Um, and so I am going to uh, read, um, of course, we have books, and I don't know, people didn't bring them today. Um, just for our understanding, um, 2 uh, Maccabees, um, chapter 2, 
Let me open it up. And then after that, I'm going to um, we'll pick it up. We'll pick up the rest of uh, this book when we come back. Okay. It says, now it is found in the description of Jeremiah, the prophet, that he commanded them that he went into captivity to take the fire as had been signified and how he gave charge to them that they were carried away into captivity. And how he gave them the law that they should not forget that the commandments of the Lord and they should not err in the mind seeing the idols of gold, silver, and the ornaments of them. And with such like speeches and he exhorted them that they would not remove the law from their heart. It also contained in the same writing how the prophet being warned by God commanded that the tabernacle and the ark should accompany him. So he came forth to the mountain where Moses went up and saw the inheritance of God. And when Jeremiah came they, um, thither, he found a hollow cave, and he carried it into the tabernacle, and the ark, and the altar of incense, and stopped at the door. Then some of them that followed him came up to the mark of the place, but they could not find it. And when Jeremiah perceived it, he blamed them, saying that the place shall be unknown till God gathers together the congregation of the people and receive them mercy." And then the Lord will show them things and majesty of the Lord shall appear and they shall be a cloud as if shown unto Moses and is shown it with Solomon prayed that the place might be sanctified to the great God. For he treated wisdom in a magnificent manner like a wise man. He offered the sacrifice of the dedication of finishing of the temple. And Moses prayed to the Lord and fire came down from heaven and consumed the Holocaust. So um, Solomon also prayed the fire came down from heaven and consumed the Holocaust. <clears throat> and Moses said because the sin offering was not eaten, it was consumed. And um, if you finish it, it talks about what happened to the ark. So let me go back to my notes. Um, it makes reference to a story that scholars have no credence that the ark would be hidden by Jeremiah in the cave. So some people are turning up half of Jerusalem. This is what Messler is saying, looking for this cave. There is one school of thought that is very comfortable, <laughs> um, that says that it isn't going to show up anymore. And it talks about the mercy seat. Um, and if you go to Ezekiel 37, it talks about the two houses being reun uh, reunited, okay? And we're going to um, we're going to go ahead and finish the chapter. Um, go to verse because it's almost done. Go ahead and finish it up for me. Um, yeah. But I said, how can I put you among the children and give you a pleasant land? a beautiful heritage of the host of nations. And I said, you shall call me fa my father and not turn away from me. Surely as a, wife, as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, says the Lord. A voice was heard on that desolate heights, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel. For they had perverted their way. They had forgotten the Lord their God. Return you backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Indeed, 
we do come to you, for you are the God our Father, or the Lord our God. Truly in vain in salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. For shame has devoured the labor of our fathers from our youth. They flock and oh, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. We lie down in our shame, and our reproach covers us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth even to this day, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Amen. Amen. So um, when we come back, we'll start Jeremiah 4, which continues this sermon um, that, um, um, that um, Jeremiah is giving to Judah. Heavenly Father, we come right now, God, we just thank you. We thank you for the knowledge and the information that we received about, about you, God. Thank you for allowing this book to become smaller, God. Thank you for letting us see the travels of, of, your, um, of your people. And we just thank you and we ask for protection. And um, we ask you, God, to give us mercy, God. Let us choose you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for tuning in to the Walk in Truth Christian Fellowship Church broadcast on the WITRN network. Come join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time for Sunday worship. Bible study is held on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We are located at 3006 North Lindbergh Boulevard Suite 711, St. Louis, Missouri, 63074. All are welcome and we look forward to seeing you soon.